are entering the Freedom Hut. Three politicians in the Democrat Party on the brink in Virginia, and things just got a lot worse for one of them. A second woman has come forward claiming she was raped by Democratic Virginia Lieutenant Governor Justin Fairfax years ago. We'll break down what this means and also the aftermath of the great green leap forward. What does Ocasio-Cortez mean for the Democrat Party going forward. That and more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This, this is The Buck Sexton Show. Where the mission, or mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. Ready. Great. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. It's not a bill. It is a resolution. And what this resolution is is doing is saying this is our first step. Our first step is to define the problem and define the scope of the solution. And so we're here to say that small incremental policy solutions are not enough. They can be part of a solution, but they are not the solution unto itself. Welcome to the Bucks Action Show on this uh most excellent Friday. Thank you so much for being here, team. Always a pleasure to get a chance to chat with you. Ocasio-Cortez there with the, it's not a memo, it's a mission statement. <laughs> Some of you will catch that reference. It's not a memo, it's a mission statement. It's not a bill, it's a mission statement. Okay, well, I guess there's, I guess, there, oh, I'm sorry, it's not a bill, it's a resolution. Might as well be a mission statement. Because... A lot of people looked at what happened yesterday, and we'll, we'll talk more about this in this hour, with the Democrat Party and the most prominent senators, the biggest uh, contenders for the presidency of the Democrat side, all throwing their hat in for this bill that is, in, or rather, resolution, excuse me, mission statement, that is irretrievably stupid. I mean, just aggressively stupid. Nonsensical. Like written like something written by a bunch of, you know, ninth grade model UN contestants from a really progressive school district of Palo Alto or something. I mean, it's just no connection to reality whatsoever. Um, But people are trying to hold on to this. Uh, People are hoping that this will mobilize them. Maybe they realize that their Trump hatred is not actually enough to win the election. And they also know that they're going to need a distraction ready to go for when the Mueller probe ends with a whimper, which it is about to. The Mueller probe is about to just just wither, just collapse into nothing. That's what I think is going to happen. And it's going to happen in the next, watch this, two weeks. All right, give me two weeks. Not next week, but the week after. I think the Mueller probe is going to fall apart. In the meantime, you got Cory Booker trying to convince people, we need to go to war with climate change. Play that clip. Our planet is in peril, and we need to be bold. It's one of the reasons why I signed on to the resolution, a co-sponsor of the resolution for the Green New Deal. And there's a lot of people now that are blowing back on the Green New Deal. They're like, oh, it's impractical. Oh, it's too expensive. Oh, it's all of this. If we used to govern our dreams that way, we would have never gone to the moon. We need to be bold again in America. We need to have dreams that other people say are impossible we need to push the bounds of human potential because that is our history and when the planet has been in peril in the past 
Who came forward to save Earth from the scourge of, of Nazi and totalitarian regimes? Oh, that's regimes? right. Okay, we there we go. Forward. Climate change. Climate change is just like fighting the Nazis. These people are they're engaged in accidental self-parody all the time. These Democrats make no sense. It's just it's just lunacy. But it's not just picking on Ocasio-Cortez. It's all of them right now. And I think it's because they realize that the Trump hatred, they got to move away from this, man. It's just not enough. It's not enough. They got to ramp something else up with these congressional investigations because the Mueller probe is not going to give them what they want. So this Green New Deal is going to be a necessary distraction for the media while they just kind of wind down the special counsel. That's what I think is happening. Uh, we're going to get more into the Green New Deal stuff because it's going to be fun this hour. But I just got to note that there's a, a big breaking news right as we came on air. A second accuser against Justin Fairfax, Lieutenant Governor of Virginia, a woman named Meredith Watson's legal counsel has come forward saying that uh, that Fairfax in the year 2000, when they were both students at Duke University, um, raped her. Um, I, I, you know, now we have two women, two women on the record who knew him, who were around him, neither of whom have anything to gain from this. Remember that think of the standards during the Kavanaugh era. Do they not have a right to be believed or do they at least not have a right to be taken seriously by the left? Are they both lying? Fairfax is going to resign by Monday, I think, given this new information. I don't I don't see how he is going to be able to continue, but I could be wrong. Democrats feel like they need to just stay with this. Meanwhile, while that that is happening, you also have Northam who's trying to avoid resignation. I am not making this up. This was on BuzzFeed today. Governor Northam is planning to survive by changing his agenda to focus on race. He is, quote, reading roots and the case for reparations and is committed to pursuing a bold policy agenda to make amends. Northam's not going anywhere. He's not going anywhere. Is Fairfax going to have to resign now, though? Given all the dynamics at play, that would be quite a circumstance, wouldn't it? Um, but just watch and see the Democrats are going to try so hard to avoid the reality of what is going on in the state of Virginia for the whole country to see. The top three officials, all Democrats, all should resign. But right now, I think only one will. And that's Lieutenant Governor Fairfax. We've got more coming up. Stay with me. Guys, today marks the six-day countdown until Valentine's. Now, I know a lot of you have already ordered your special someone a gorgeous bouquet from my friends at 1-800-Flowers.com. But for the rest of you out there putting it off, take care of it today. Because right now, when you order early, you'll get 18 red roses for $29.99 or upgrade to 24 red roses for $10 more. That's right, 18 red roses for $29.99 or upgrade to 24 red roses, only 10 bucks more. I have used 1-800-Flowers in the past. I'm going to be using it this Valentine's Day for Miss Molly, too. This is the way to go. You have to check them out. It's so easy. The flowers are gorgeous. Roses from 1-800-Flowers are picked at their peak and shipped overnight to ensure freshness and her amazement. To order 18 red roses for $29.99 or upgrade to 24 red roses for only $10 more, go to 1-800-Flowers.com slash buck. That's 1-800-Flowers.com slash buck. Hurry team, offer expires this Friday. 
Mm. All of these ideas, taxing carbon, mm -hmm. that it just trickles down to the working class. Well, the reason it's trickled down to the working class in France is because we've allowed corporations to take over who bears the burden of carbon, carbon taxes and, and other taxes. And that's why when we work as a progressive movement here, it needs to be led by everyday people. It needs to be led by workers. It needs to be led by frontline communities, because if we don't do that, that is what happens. It is the top 10 corporations, multinational corporations in the world are responsible for an enormous amount of our carbon output. So it should not be uh, middle class Americans and it should not be everyday people that bear that burden. And it should not be a gas tax at the pump. It should be really the corporations that are responsible for, for soiling our, um, for rather for polluting our, our water and our air. She just has no idea what she's talking about. I mean, it's it's stunning because it, it reminds me a bit of when uh, David Hogg and a few of his his fellow Parklands uh, Parkland high school students came out and we were all supposed to kind of bow down and say, oh, because of the trauma that they suffered, everything that they say, we cannot, you know, David Hogg cannot be contradicted. He cannot. And 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 that was true on guns at first. The media, oh, he's he's so brilliant. And what he says is so wise. And how dare you criticize him? But then he started to just kind of freelance it and talk about whatever. He was, this is a kid who doesn't know anything. Just doesn't know anything. And Ocasio-Cortez is not much better. Just doesn't really know very much. The idea that you'd be able to just have carbon taxes on corporations is preposterous. Uh, I mean, think about it. And just the wealthiest corporations, because guess what? Even the wealthiest corporations have competitors. So are you just going to put this tax on the top 10? Are you just going to put this tax on, you know, Apple? And and by the way, is, is it for Exxon? Is it for, you know, I, I would really want to ask her how you're supposed to break this down. Are you going to go after the fossil fuel companies? Because here's the problem, folks. If you go after Exxon, you better also go after Walmart. Because Walmart products are made with hydrocarbons. I guess I'll take what our caller said yesterday to heart here. Uh, Walmart products are made with oil. You know, petroleum goes into a lot of products. Half, half of the oil that is used in this country goes into products, not into the gas tank. And as we know, the emissions from cars are a, a major part of, of, as the left sees it, this climate change disaster, which I think is, is nuts and nonsense. But this is where you really got to drill down and start asking her some questions like, okay, so how do they do this wrong in France? They have a gas tax because they want people to use less gas. It's not just rich people who drive cars. The difference between, in France, a rich person and a middle-class person is a middle-class person drives a, you know, I don't know how many, you know, how many euros it would be, but let's say, you know, a 25,000 euro Peugeot and a rich person drives, you know, an Audi A8. But they're both using gas. And they're both using really the same level and kind of gas. So how do you stop that behavior? Because if you're trying to prevent, well, you've got to, if you want less of something, tax it, right? That's what they do. But no one ever wants to bear the costs of this. This, this dream of combating climate change that the left is obsessed with is always premised on somebody else 
dealing with it. Somebody else has to take the pain. You just get the benefit of thinking you being a progressive in this case, an Ocasio-Cortez acolyte. You get the benefit of being a warrior and that you're saving the planet and you're such a good person, but you don't have any of the downside of the increase in taxes, increase in the price of products. How does Ocasio-Cortez think that all of the pumpkin spice latte flavor gets delivered to the Starbucks restaurants that she, or you know, coffee shops that she frequents? And many of us do. I mean, I, I like, I like, you know, I mean, I drink my Black Rifle, but I'll go into Starbucks and get a snack if I need to. How does she think it gets there? How does she think that it is transport? Oh, that's right. In trucks. What do trucks run on? Oh, gasoline. Gasoline puts out emissions into the air. Right? It burns fossil fuel. What, what does she think happens when you're going to try to do less of it? I mean, really what the, what's at the heart of the climate change movement is restraining economic activity and productivity, is putting artificial weights, artificial uh, you know, holds on the ability that we have to be more productive and and result in in you know and that productivity by the way has real impact on our lives right i mean you know the the cars that we drive for transport the products that we can use the homes that are heated the all these different things make our lives easier you know because you have you know an oil burning or you know let's it could be natural gas too but because you have a furnace on that you don't have to go out in the woods and chop down a bunch of, of firewood for yourself. Although I'm sure a lot of you listening to this probably do that too. But, you know, you, you don't have to do that. Saves you time, saves you energy. You've got something that is more efficient. These are all trade-offs that are being made. There is no modern economy without fossil fuels. It, it does not exist. We do not have an economy without fossil fuels that would be anywhere near the prosperity that we've enjoyed for the last really uh, over 100 years, we're going at least 150 years where fossil fuel, where coal, you know, has been really important. And over that, but certainly for the last 150 years, it has saved so many lives. It has uh, reduced so much suffering and misery and poverty and starvation. And they want to just abandon it all. And that's what they want to do. And try to get us to live on this fantasy land of a renewable green energy grid that, yes, in in a hundred years, are we probably going to be entirely renewable? Sure. Yeah, I think we probably will be. Uh, that that seems based on the trajectory we're already on, and that's fine. And uh, that and, and it'll happen then with the infrastructure and the technology in place to sustain it and to make it really feasible. In 20 years, are we going to be 100% renewable? 30 years, we're going to be 100%? Absolutely not. No way is that going to happen. You know, I, I just wish that there was a way, you know, you can bet on stocks and you find out if you're right or wrong based on the stock price. I really do wish that there was a way to bet on these political issues. Um, you know, I, I, I wish that I could put money up to show that in 10 years, you know, Malibu is not going to be underwater because of climate change. In 
10 years, there, there it will be impossible to show that this claim about the worst storms and more frequent storms and all that, it'll be impossible to show that that's actually true. Uh, because at least then I could make money off of this, but I could point to this and say, who do you want to believe? The people that are always wrong because their predictions are driven by political considerations, not by probability and science. Who do you want to believe? Our side looks at the history and looks at what has happened and is happening. Their side just keeps saying, we've been wrong, all that other stuff, but don't worry, all the scientists that were wrong are right this time, and this is what they're saying. But ultimately also, I mean, I had, I had some just some fun today talking to a couple of Democrats that I work with, and uh, one of the things that came up was just how if they were... I go into the weekend with a little bit of happiness in this because if if the Democrat Party right now were saying that they uh, they want to do a better job negotiating a trade deal with China than Trump than Trump is doing, and they want to do more, uh, they, they want to you know fix health care, fix Obamacare. I mean, they don't even have to have smart sounding solutions, but just deal with real problems. You know, they, they want to have a push for a more skills based immigration system and a large guest worker program at the border. These aren't even things that I like. But if they were doing this, if they well, actually, the skills based immigration is the guest workers not. But if they, if they were doing this stuff, though, I would be much more worried about Trump's prospects for 2020. I'm actually excited. You know, I, I saw a I'm trying to where did it go? There was a. Uh, a piece today, I think it was in Politico, about how Democrats, Democrats are actually concerned about how loony, like the smart Democrats out, out there are concerned about how just completely nuts this whole thing has been. And they realize that their party is not going to win if they don't get a grip, if they don't stop being crazy you know you you look at at who takes this green before we, we get into the break here, i just want to say who takes this green new deal seriously i'm not just picking on ocasio-cortez you got cory booker excited this was on twitter yesterday excited to join aoc on a historic green new deal resolution to address the peril of climate change and worsening inequality our history is a testimony to the achievement of what some think is impossible we must take bold action now Elizabeth Warren, if we want to live in a world with clean air and water, we have to take real action to combat climate change now. Um, I'm proud to join Representative AOC on a Green New Deal resolution. Kamala Harris, I'm proud to sponsor AOC and Ed Markey's Green New Deal. We must aggressively tackle climate change. Folks, this is the mainstream of the Democrat Party. I'm not a Christian uh, Gillibrand. Green New Deal is ambitious. It's bold. And I'm co-sponsoring this resolution. The Democrat Party is on board for this from the top down. These people are wacko, totally disconnected from reality. So on the good side of things, I think they're in trouble for 2020. On the bad side, if they take power, they're going to destroy this country. They're going to think they're saving it while they do it. So you must be okay with the Schultz idea. <laughs> Not, And I don't say that as, you know, there's some Democrats freaking out about it, but... Look, I come from somebody who says, what's wrong with more competition is yeah. better, not yeah. less. Yeah. Um, do you think it would be healthier for our system if we had four or five parties? Mm -hmm. Four or five, I think... I think that's fine. You know, I think that that's a... a totally I mean, it sounds like the two major parties you feel like don't serve this well. 
Yeah. What about like six or seven though? Like how about like of infinity plus one? Like why don't we just like have like so many of them? And you know, we've lost sight of some very basic truths here in this country. Uh, One of them is that becoming a member of Congress does not really mean anything about a person's ability, intelligence, or skill. It just means that they ran a political campaign in one district of hundreds of of congressional districts across the country, and they happened to beat the other guy. Or maybe they beat the other guy and then one other guy after that. That's all it means. There are a lot of people, and I'll be honest with you, of both parties who are in Congress that are not impressive, that I have interacted with and don't particularly like, and we should not feel like, oh, a member of... I I know if you're listening to this show, chances are you're, one, brilliant, well-read, handsome, beautiful, and just full of life. Um, That's all true for people who listen to the show. But you also are probably a little cynical about politicians because I'm cynical about politicians, Um, mostly from my experience in seeing what they do and now in D.C. dealing with them on a a daily basis. Uh, But I just think it's funny, you know, Ocasio-Cortez, you know, she's waxing philosophical on the very structure of our political system and and people are taking her seriously. You know, I, I would like to ask her some basic questions. I will ask her at some point, who are the three authors of the Federalist Papers, for example? I'd be really curious to see if she could tell me who are the authors of the Federalist Papers. That would be, or even just who's the primary author of the Federalist Papers. If she's going to tell us how many political parties we should have, don't you think that that's a, isn't that a fair question just to get a sense of her of her knowledge? Is it too much of a gotcha question? I remember with Sarah Palin, you know, it was, you know, who's the, Who's third in line for the throne of, you know, Lesotho or something? I mean, you know, it was like, what? And, oh, Sarah Palin just doesn't know anything. Now, she wasn't, yeah, she wasn't exactly lighting the world on fire with her knowledge either. I'm not going to pretend. But it was very fair for them to go after Palin, for the media to go after Palin on just a lack of fundamental knowledge about certain things in the world. But Ocasio-Cortez... They excuse the absence of knowledge and and they elevate all this, honestly, all, all this BS. You know, they, they elevate all of this talking points garbled together, left-wing claptrap. I mean, it's just it's just left-wing kind of boilerplate mixed with the 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 verbiage of the community organizer, you know, all about equity and diversity and inclusion and you know. It's really this this other way of of talking that people who come from the political left they've adopted this, and it's because it's a way of appealing to to people's grievances, to their uh, sense of um, uh, a victimization, and and their emotions without having to assert anything that can be challenged on a more factual basis. That's why, I mean, you can assert whatever you want about oppression. I can't prove that oppression does not exist in the way they say it exists. I can only debate the concept with them, but I can't say, you know. But, and so that's the realm where she likes to talk. That's the the area of, of most of her focus and discussion, because the moment that she gets into the, the numbers and the reality, they have to run all this defense for her and say things like, well, you know, she's right. 
she might be wrong with the numbers, but she's morally right, or, or whatever it is I said about that. I mean, here's another example. You know, she gave this interview to Chuck Todd. You know, Chuck Todd is kind of a, it, it, you know, there's a part of me that's like, there's nothing impressive or interesting about Chuck Todd, which is true. But there's this part of me that almost respects the game. I'm like, how did this guy become a thing? What, what did this guy do to become somebody who's going to be running the show, paid millions of dollars, kind of has this you know, scraggly little goatee and this kind of nasally little voice and just does liberal, liberal, standard, left-wing, exactly what you would expect on his show night in and night out, you know? What, what, how, anyway, I, there's a part of me, just as somebody else who's in the business, part of me, it's, I almost respect the, almost respect the con. Um, but he's talking to her last night and then we can take her speaking yesterday morning. So it was last night. Yesterday morning is the first part of this clip. And then last night, and I just want you to hear, it's almost like she has no, she's just making it up when she go as she goes along and has no idea what she's talking about. Play clip one. Are you prepared to put on the table that, yes, actually, they're right. What this requires is massive government intervention. It does. It does. Yeah, I have no problem saying that. Uh, uh, I think one, Wait, pause, one pause, way pause. that the right does try to. It does. Very straightforward question. Massive government intervention. She talks about rebuilding all the structures. and like, This isn't their Green New Deal proposal. I'm not making this up. I'm not taking it out of context. Rebuilding every building in the country. Uh, I can't even tell if they're serious about high-speed rail to Hawaii and to islands. I mean, I'm assuming they know that's so stupid. It's mind, But it's, all of it is so stupid, it's mind-boggling. So how do we separate out? No, they believe what, it. You, you're kidding me, dude. Do they really come out today and think that it's possible? I think they I think they really believe it. I think that's a difference. Like, a lot of this, I, you know, all this stuff is nothing. They've been saying this stuff for 30 years. But I do think the difference now is I think they actually believe it. When I see them on TV, don't you? Oh, oh, yeah. Well, I thought they believe the green stuff. I just don't know if they believe that high-speed rail can get us to Hawaii. But maybe. <laughs> I think Maisie Hirono does. <laughs> Dude, Maisie Hirono is smarter than Ocasio-Cortez. I don't know what to say. She's like, uh, I don't think you're getting a train to Hawaii, lady. And Ocasio-Cortez is like, no, like, we'll totally get it. Like, with the bridges and the stuff and it, like, floats. Maybe instead of asking her about the Federalist Papers, maybe ask them more qu- basic question of, uh, do you know where Hawaii, Hawaii is? <laughs> oh, man. There's a lot of, I mean, this, you know, I, I see it would, people think that it's mean, but there's a part of it that would want to just say, why don't we, we should subject some of these, some of these people that we're told are so brilliant to like a, a very basic man on the street test, like what, what the, the different the late show and that will do and see how they do. I think people's minds would be blown about the, la- the lack of core knowledge that Ocasio-Cortez has for somebody who's in is in and by the way she's not alone I think they I think their minds would be blown by Maisie Hirono I think their minds would be blown by a whole bunch of folks probably some some Republicans in there too who just are not not very uh knowledgeable about about a lot of things but oh anyway so so she said massive government intervention clear as day could not have been any more Said in that, and, and then here's what she said later on that same day. Play the rest of the clip. Mischaracterize uh, what we're doing as though it's like some kind of massive government takeover. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, which is it? She's very comfortable with massive government intervention, but it's mischaracterized as some kind of massive government takeover. When we talk about intervention, that's government action to direct 
institutions or people or, or things to do something. That strikes me as a takeover. So is she confused about what government uh, intervention is or does she just contradict herself later on in the day because she realizes that there are a lot of Americans out there who don't really want to be told and don't really want to hear that the answer to the problems that faces this country is just putting more stuff in the hands of the government that, as we know, is already on an unsustainable financial footing and messes up stuff all the time. Is that you, Joy? Oh, you know, this picture. Oh, I was, Joy, is that you? Yes. Joy, that is oh, you? Yes. Oh, Joy, are you Wait. black? No, I know. <laughs> it was a Halloween party. I went as a beautiful African woman. Oh, yes, you ain't black. But that's my hair. <laughs> that's my hair. That, you could be, yeah, but it is. I, mean, I thought that was, I thought. That I mean, is me. Did you have tanning lotion on, Joy? A little, I had makeup that was a little bit darker uh, than my skin. Uh-huh. <laughs> Darker makeup than your skin. Joy Behar. You know, I was a little darker than my skin and a little bit of makeup on it. Uh, Producer Mike, is he there? Is he out smoking a cigarette with the ladies? I'm here and I don't smoke. I know, man. That's what, this is what we say because then I know you'll pay attention. Uh, tell me what the heck happened here with Joy Behar. Uh, she was just, you know, had a, a Halloween party and she dressed up and, you know, as a beautiful African woman, and she got called out for something that was inappropriate nowadays. So, so wait, but Mike, I need help. I need help. You need to explain <laughs> to me. Megyn Kelly brought up the concept of dressing, I think, as Diana Ross when she was a little girl for Halloween right. and using dark makeup, and she was fired yeah. from NBC for that. Right. Joy Behar is over at ABC. Right. And she's saying that as an adult, she dressed as an African woman yeah. and had dark makeup on. Why is that okay, Mike? I don't, uh, I don't understand. One's a liberal and one's a conservative, and there's a standard. Ah, short yes. answer. That is, I there's think so that, much more wrong with it, but we'll just leave it at that for now. I think that's kind of amazing. And then you also have Jimmy. But have you ever heard through the, you know, heard through the media grapevine as well that Jimmy Kimmel is a really, really nasty person? Because I actually have. I've yeah. heard he's a. I've heard he's a bad guy, like yeah. a jerk. Yeah. Um, which some comedians are have a very, you know, corrupted soul. Uh, you know, even if they're pretty good at their jobs, you, you, you spend time talking to them. You're like, uh, okay, you've got a pretty interesting view of the world. But uh, I see you've also pulled here uh, Jimmy Kimmel doing an impersonation of, of Carl Malone, Play 21. Sometime at night, Carl Malone look up in sky and say, <laughs> what the hell going on up there? Do UFO live on other planets? phone and home like E.T. Carmelo read on TV about white people getting deducted by alien. Now, Carmelo never seen no flying saucer himself, but if he do, that's going to be a spooky time. So, again, he was in full, he, he had black, I think black body paint on, black uh, makeup on his face. He's doing uh, a kind of southern urban dialect. Uh, did anyone get mad at Jimmy Kimmel for that? producer mike not that i remember no i don't remember anybody saying jimmy kimmel should like lose his job or be but that's so weird because we talked with the megan kelly thing so what's the difference here mike yeah uh one's a liberal and one's a conservative ah there's that thing again <laughs> that's so weird man it's so weird how that happens and and we see this now again in in virginia this is why i i take i increasingly take the position never kneel never apologize 
you know, in media, ne- apologize only if you think, or, you know, in this case, speaking from the I perspective, if I think I've done something wrong or I have, you know, made a mistake, I will apologize. I will not apologize because of the outrage mob. This is because because now the apology is just used as the gasoline to throw on the pyre. They're going to burn you on anyway, right? It it's this dynamic has changed. It's no longer okay. You know, you've apologized. We're going to humiliate you a little bit. You know, you'll go on the talk show circuit and beg forgiveness from all the different aggrieved groups, and you know maybe. Maybe you'll be given absolution from Ellen or Oprah or whomever, right? That used to be kind of the, if you're a celebrity and you make a mistake, uh, the way it goes. For conservatives, though, that never really applied. For conservatives, because we aren't accepted by the rest of the media class, you kind of were forced to apologize, and they still hate you, but at least they would stop trying to get all your sponsors to flee your show and everything else. Um. But then when you get a little bit further down the line here, where we are now is that if you apologize, you're just giving them more to destroy you with. So I I would I tell all my friends now who are in the business, and many of whom have come up against their own, uh, you know, their own efforts at personal attacks and destruction. And I, I tell them, look, you know, you, you don't don't back down. You know, don't and, and another version of this is don't delete a tweet just because someone is telling you you better or else you only delete something if you think you should you know i've had some maniacs uh, liberal liberal celebrities and other maniacs who've been like you better delete that nope not going to delete that thanks a lot i'll delete it if i think that i made a mistake or if i think that there is a, a need to do so but you cannot cave to these mobs anymore because there's no benefit never mind the 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 kind of feeling of um, of degradation and and the subservience of having to say, oh, the outrage mom, I'm so sorry. And even when you're not beyond that, now they're just going to say, oh, he see, he signed the confession. Now we really can destroy him. Uh, the, this, is, this is amazing. But with Behar and Kimmel, I mean, we, we can go through this all the time. The, we, we're just operating in a world where there is no, there is no good faith from the left, from the other side on any of this stuff. And the you know the media is is essentially a subsidiary of the Democratic Party, and the beliefs of mainstream Democrats are completely not just reflected but imposed upon all of us by the biggest media platforms out there. The the exceptions being talk radio, Fox News, a, few, a couple of newspapers, and you know some digital uh, some digital outlets. Um, but that's it. That's it. You know what what is the conservative cable channel really think about that for a moment i mean get beyond cable news or or you know news and opinion what is the hbo screamingly liberal showtime screamingly liberal abc nbc cbs all liberal all of them where's the concern can we just have one channel where you know we can watch braveheart the hunt for red october and uh you know whatever new scripted content they come up with isn't all about how everybody in America, you know, needs to preach that transgender kids are a good idea for the country. I mean, can we just have one channel where maybe it exists? I just don't know what it is, but we're definitely outgunned in this fight and it's time we, we turn that around. Uh, all right, we got, we got to talk about this, uh, 
this Capitol Hill hearing today where they went after Attorney General Whitaker. Now, Whitaker is not a savvy D.C. insider, and he's not, he's not, doesn't strike me as a crafty lawyer, but he seems like a good guy and an honest guy. Kind of reminds me of Hank, Hank Schrader, Agent Hank Schrader, who's the DEA guy from the show um, Breaking Bad. Mike, you know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. Great show. Yeah. yeah. Whitaker reminds me of Hank. Hank is it Schrader or Schroeder? I think it's Schrader. Uh, great show. But, you know, he's very much in that mold. He's kind of a law and order guy. And uh, the Democrats just went after him today. We'll, we'll get into that in a moment. Guys, we are at the one week countdown until Valentine's. Now, I know a lot of you have already ordered for your special someone and you got a gorgeous bouquet on the way for my friends at 1-800-Flowers.com. That's the smart move. But for the rest of you who are putting it off, you need to take care of it today. Don't wait. Because right now, when you order early, you'll get 18 red roses for $29.99 or upgrade to 24 red roses for $10 more. That's right, 18 red roses for $29.99 or upgrade to 24 red roses, only 10 bucks more. Roses from 1-800-Flowers are picked at their peak freshness and they're shipped overnight. So she is going to love them. They're absolutely amazing. I've gotten a bouquet already from them and I've got another one heading to Miss Molly for Valentine's. To order 18 red roses for $29.99 or upgrade to 24 red roses for only 10 bucks more, go to 1-800-Flowers.com, click the radio icon and enter code BUCK. That's 1-800-Flowers.com, enter code BUCK. Chairman, I, I know that there is a uh, unique a yes or no special question, interest sir. in this. I'm it's sorry. It's a yes or no question. Have you communicated anything uh, you learned in that briefing to pre about the investigation to President Trump? Yes or no? Mr. Chairman, as I've said earlier today in my opening remarks, I do not intend today to talk about my private conversations with the President of the United States. But to answer your okay. question, I have not Any talked to the President of the United States about the special counsel's investigation. <laughs> What a joke today. I mean, what a total mess on on Capitol Hill. You you had acting attorney general Matthew Whitaker there. Um he's he's speaking to this House committee and and the the, the whole thing, I mean, the guy's not even going to be the attorney general much longer. I mean, when I mean much longer, it's going to be a few more days. And they dragged him. They threatened to subpoena him. So to force the this guy is the attorney general right now. We keep saying acting, but I mean, he is the attorney general. He has the powers of the attorney general of the United States. They want to force him to testify a few days before to essentially interrogate him about the Mueller probe. There has not been a single peep of protest about anything that he has done to the Mueller probe, about the Mueller probe, from anyone. I mean, there's been nothing. The media was hair on fire, paranoid about this a few months ago. And nothing has happened. Mueller did their whole, did the whole shenanigans with uh, the arrest of Roger Stone. And Mueller's, you know, Mueller's whole thing just keeps grinding on and grinding. Mueller had to shoot down that ridiculous BuzzFeed report that said the president suborned perjury and in the process committed a felony. Um, BuzzFeed has laid off, I don't know, 10% of its workforce, I think, in the last month or so, which is, is you know, one of these things that a lot of us have seen coming for a long time. But anyway, they 
do so much fear mongering around what Whitaker is going to do, but then when you get down to it, he hasn't done anything. He hasn't done anything wrong. They have no reason to believe he has done anything wrong, but they want to bring him out and and interrogate him about this. They just want to get him on the record uh, saying, I'm not going to tell you what the president talked, which no attorney general would be like, yeah, let me tell you every, everything the president has told me and all my conversations with the president of the United States, who's you know my boss, the attorney general's boss, uh, whatever you want to know, I'll tell you. It's not how it works, okay? This, this is... And that's all they want to do is try to get into those conversations and and feed this red meat to the insane left wing base that really believes, you know, the Mueller probe is not enough. You notice that these people have no there is no sense of fair play from the other side. There's no gratitude. There's no OK. You know, they they, they let Mueller do his work. They've let this sham show trial nonsense go on for two years. And but OK, so, you know. Because this was never about finding Russia collusion. This was just about harassing and threatening and undermining the Trump administration. So it's not like it comes to an end and they're going to feel better about things. They're going to be sad when it comes to an end because they wanted to keep to continue. And I'll, I'll note that, you know, Whitaker knows this. Uh, I've spoken to the attorney general. Uh, I've spoken to him at, at some length. And he's aware of what he's up against with the Democrats. No question about it. Uh, he knows the games that they're playing. And he also, though, takes his role very seriously. Um, I, I will say, I mean, he's he's not a he's not what you would consider to be a great legal, a great legal scholar. He's not. Uh, but he is a brawler, which I think is why Trump likes him. You know, he's a guy who won't back down. He's a guy who won't be bullied or intimidated. He's not one of these, uh, excuse me, uh, I don't want to cause any problems. Uh. You know, a lot of that in government, a lot of frauds and wimps in the federal bureaucracy. Uh, I just want to get along to go along. I, have to, I just want to get back to my house out by Dulles Airport. And, uh, you know, OK, all right, we get it right. They, they just don't want to they don't want to get into much of anything. Um. Whitaker does not take that approach, as we saw today on Capitol Hill. Uh, I had never heard this before when someone's being questioned by members of Congress. This was a this was a bit of a jaw dropper. Play clip nine. Now, in your capacity as acting attorney general, have you ever been asked to approve any request or action to be taken by the special counsel? Mr. Chairman, uh, I see that your five minutes is up. And so uh, I'm. We, 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 I am here, I'm here voluntarily. I, we have agreed to five-minute rounds. And the committee. I think that's a fine place to end the five-minute rule. The, the committee. Wow. I think your five minutes are up, dude. That, that was a first. That was a first. Uh, John, producer Mike, did either of you guys see this? Did you see this earlier today? It was, whew. Man, I was like, this guy's not uh, is not taking any guff, not taking any nonsense from anybody. Um, but I, I understand, you know, he, he's been trashed by the media and he's done nothing to earn that. He's done nothing to earn that. He was just he was Jeff Sessions, uh, chief of staff. Um, Jeff Sessions, t- uh, chief of staff. He didn't do anything to undermine the Russia probe. 
Uh, he has, and by the way, this whole notion of undermining it too. What they mean is is actually provide oversight to Mueller. That's what they would. You, you see, the, the whole construct of the Mueller probe being interfered with is just suggestive of what's really going on, which is that the Mueller probe is like this rogue branch of government unto itself, and the the Mueller probe should not have anybody that's allowed to rein it in. You have Rod Rosenstein, who's a, who is a slimy bureaucrat. I mean, he he's very, uh, very interested in how what people think of him, how the New York Times, how the Washington Post write about him, what his legacy is. You know, look, part of it is probably a career thing, right? He knows when he leaves DOJ at this point, does he want to get some seven-figure-a-year salary to be essentially a figurehead at some very fancy law firm or as a consultant for some, you know, whatever? Um then he wants those newspapers to write good things about him. But I do not think there has been uh, interest from his, uh, from from Rosenstein or anybody else in DOJ in calling into question some of the very obvious heavy-handed tactics that the special counsel has been using. I mean, that, that much is, I think, quite clear to me. I also don't believe that Rosenstein was kidding about invoking the 25th Amendment to remove the president. I don't, I don't think he was. And I have heard from people who have spoken to people who were in the room when that conversation happened, who said he was not kidding. That the deputy attorney general who was overseeing the Russia collusion delusion, the Mueller, the Mueller special counsel operation, essentially was looking for a legal cover for a soft coup against the president of the United States. That's who's... The only person you're trusting to rein in the Mueller probe if it goes uh, goes rogue, and I think it most certainly has. And I'm glad that there were some people today who were willing to say that this whole exercise on Capitol Hill was was a whole bunch of nonsense. You know, Doug Doug Collins he made he made some noise about it. Play clip eight. We now have the reason for this hearing. It has nothing to do with the oversight of DOJ. It has everything to do, as we found out this morning in a document dump from the Democratic side of this committee and also another committee, that this is nothing more than a character assassination. And we're going to also decide to see if we can just do something and get at the president while we're had. It's so obvious to me what's really going on here with this whole Whitaker humiliation session, which is what they were trying to do. They're just trying to humiliate this guy. And, you know, he's not he's not a guy who really wants to get into the politics he views his role at the DOJ very seriously. I know that. And and he's not trying to be a political infighter there. He just wants to do the job and, and pass it on to uh, to Bill Barr. And there you have it. I mean, he, he's not trying. He's not trying to. Look, he said this. I'm not I'm not interfering. Play clip 11. I want to be very specific about this, Mr. Chairman, because I think it's going to ally a lot of fears uh, that have existed um, among this committee, among the. Uh, legislative branch largely, and and maybe among some American people. Uh, We have followed the special counsel's regulations to a T. There has been no event, no decision that has required me to take any action, and I have not interfered in any way with the special counsel's investigation. He's under oath in front of Congress. He says he hasn't done anything to interfere in any way, and it's not enough. 
That's not, you know, they want to keep asking, they kept asking the same questions. Oh, have you done this? Have you done this? You know. They, they, uh, they just wanted to harass him. That's what they were doing. This was all about trying to, to irritate and humiliate Whitaker as the attorney general that, that is, uh, you know, currently trying to hand, he's trying to hand the reins off. It's not like I didn't try to make him the permanent attorney general. But you get stuff like this from Sheila Jackson Lee, play 15. You did not have a confirmation hearing and you have not yet appeared for an oversight hearing. Yes or no? Yes or no? Congresswoman, I am the acting. Yes or no? Have you appeared before an oversight hearing in the Congress? Witness will answer the question as asked, please. The member has only five minutes. And if she wants a yes or no answer, she's entitled to it. I will not allow the witness to stall and waste members' time. May I have my time restored? I think it was yes, at four minutes. Yes, you may. Mr. Attorney General, uh, the question is, did you have a confirmation hearing and has it been more than 10 years since you testified before Congress? Can it the clock be restored? It, it was. I don't know if your time's been restored or not. Mr. Attorney General, we're not joking. Your humor is not acceptable. Now, you are here because we have a constitutional duty to ask questions, and the Congress has the right to establish government rules. The rules are that you are here. So I need to ask the question, and I need to have my time restored so that you can behave appropriately. These people are a joke. A joke. This is Democrats in Congress, folks, acting like clowns. They know that he hasn't been. What kind of a question is this? Yeah, he has not been confirmed by the Senate, obviously. They know that. Why are they asking this question? All the questions which were prepared for these congressmen and women by their staffs on the Democrat side were just meant to be fodder for, you know, the left-wing websites and and Twitter and Facebook and stuff. Oh, it's, you know, it's they're just, none of this has any meaning. Oversight over what? They're doing oversight over the acting attorney general before he's not going to be the attorney general anymore? They, they, they think that's oversight? This is necessary? Of course it's not necessary. Of course it's, it's completely ridiculous. But you might get into that and you might wonder, well, Buck, why, why are they doing it? Why are they taking this approach? Um, and the answer is that they're taking this approach because, yes, it fires up their base. Yes, it gives them what they want to see, which is, oh, now there's meaningful oversight. Oversight is just a fancy word for now that we can hold hearings and do a lot of uh, political attacks and a lot of grandstanding and nonsense, we're going to do it. You know, it's essentially an avenue. A, it, it's a ventilation system for left-wing bile, for just the left to vomit out all of its anti-Trump psychosis. It's all going to be out on the floor of the Congress now. That's what they're doing. That's what this is all about. Oversight. Yeah, because that that's really, because otherwise, what? There's like, there, there's a pro-Trump deep state operation they're going to find out or something? Please, this is absolute nonsense. But it also, and you know, the Democrats, they're, they're soulless and unprincipled, but they are crafty. And by doing this, by bringing Whitaker in front of them at the very last minute and to just try to just try to dirty him up, just make him look bad, humiliate him, 
make him uncomfortable, make it, it sends a signal to anybody who is or would work for the Trump administration. We don't care if it's we don't care if we look like petty losers. We don't care if it's a disgrace to the offices we hold. We as Democrats in Congress will humiliate you too. We will drag you through the mud as well. So they th- there is a message. Don't don't forget for one second. There is a message that is being sent here. There's a message the Democrats want all people working around Trump, even those who aren't necessarily Trump voters, to know going into this election. And that is that you too can be brought before us for this ritualized humiliation session that we will call oversight. A lot of people know about the AARP, right? It's an organization for seniors. You or somebody you know might already be a member, but very few people that I talk to seem to know that the AARP is a pretty left-wing organization that lobbies for progressive causes. So why would you want to do that? Why not support an organization for seniors that wants to share your beliefs and push for policies that you would support? That's why I recommend AMAC. With your investment in AMAC, you're acting for American interests that you believe in. Well, the AMAC difference is that they have held over a thousand real face-to-face meetings with key decision makers in D.C., including senators and key influencers at the White House. So stand with AMAC as they fight the good fight. Become a member today. The benefits are great. The cause is even greater. Join right now at amac.us slash buck. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S slash buck. AMAC is better, better for you, better for America. Are you overseeing a witch hunt? Congressman, as I've mentioned previously, the special counsel's investigation is an ongoing investigation, and so I think it would be inappropriate for me to... But you wouldn't oversee a witch hunt, would you? You'd stop a witch hunt, wouldn't you? Congressman, uh, it would be inappropriate for me to talk about an ongoing investigation. Representative Cohen there, you know, he, he always thinks he's auditioning for MSNBC. You know, just like I used to tell you that... Uh, Flake was auditioning for CNN. It was really CBS, it turns out. But Cohen, Cohen is, you know, he's all about the, the histrionics and the nonsense here, but he just wants to, to slap down this idea that it's a witch hunt. I'm always amazed by the historical ignorance you see on display. People say, well, they caught a lot of witches in this witch hunt. Okay, idiot leftists. Witch hunts often, if not always, capture somebody. That's why it's a witch hunt. There, you know, it's not a Sasquatch hunt. Sasquatch hunts don't find anybody because there's no Sasquatch. Witch hunts are about finding people who are just people that you say are witches, which is exactly what has happened in the special counsel investigation. They're saying that these are people tied into this, you know, or, or, or the perception that they're trying to create is they're tied into this conspiracy and Russia collusion, but they're just getting people on Mickey Mouse nonsense process crimes. I think trumped up ones. I don't believe that Flynn lied. And I believe that when we find out the full circumstances, we will be appalled that the Department of Justice and the special counsel brought perjury charges against General Flynn. Appalled. And they also wanted to ask him about Whitaker, about his recusal. Play 14. There were consulting with DOJ officials who advised you that you should not 
touched that investigation. Isn't that correct? Congressman, yes or no? I consulted with career ethics officials. I consulted with my senior staff. I consulted with the Office of Legal Counsel. It was my decision to make. I decided not to recuse. He decided not to recuse. That's all that they really need to know. And he didn't interfere. But it's not enough for them because it's never really about the thing that the liberals are complaining about. The, the complaints are are just meant to highlight their political positions and who they like and who they don't like. You know, the, the, the complaints about the process and ethics and all this, that's largely irrelevant to them. That's largely, you know, just stuff that's window dressing for all of this, right? What it really is, is an opportunity to smash their enemies publicly and humiliate them as much as they possibly can. Bezos wearing nothing but a white towel and his wedding ring. Below the belt selfie of Bezos. The below the belt selfie as a blank pick. The below the belt selfie known as a blank pick. Below the belt selfie known as a blank pick. Publish these pics. His semi-erect manhood. <laughs> the New York Post today, the title is the best. Bezos exposes Pecker. Bezos <laughs> exposes Pecker. Mr. Pecker. It's the name tight black cargo pants or shorts and his semi-erect manhood is penetrating the zipper. (laughs) Media is having quite a, quite a, you know, ha-ha fest over the whole Bezos situation. I got to tell you, um, you know, mm, I'm surprised that they're not a little more, uh, a little more, fired up about the fact that here you have AMI, which is a publication that National Enquirer, which has published a lot of very nasty stuff about people for a long time, is is really, I mean, it, it, it's pretty close to extortion what they did. And, you know, I'm not some big Bezos fan. I think Amazon is a great company. I don't, you know, I don't have much from the way of feeling about Bezos one way or the other. Obviously, the guy cheated on his wife and he's got, Three kids, I think, four kids. I mean, that's that's gross. But everybody, you know, let's let's not do what libs do. Let's always be very clear about the fact that, you know, if if we're gonna love the man for the policies and excuse the man for his foibles on the one side, you can't, you know, love the man for his company and and uh you know hate the man for his shortcomings. On the other side, if you know what I mean, you know, I think that we need to be careful here. Um, if we're going to say that personal behavior shouldn't eliminate the professional or policy or, you know, the the work that somebody does, you can appreciate and like it irrespective of how they conduct their personal life within within some limits. I mean, you know, we're not talking about like R. Kelly stuff here. Um, then, you know, the, the, then I just think that we need to be consistent on that standard. Um, so. You know, there's obviously some stuff in Trump's background that is for those of us who believe in a in a traditional lifelong marriage without, you know, other stuff going on. That's a problem. Right. So with Bezos, I think it's interesting because some of the conservatives that I know are like, oh, well, Bezos is a dirtbag who cheated on his wife. So he deserves this. I say, well, hold on a second. I thought I don't I'm a, I'm anti extortion. I'm anti public shaming just, you know, for for giggles. Uh, so why exactly are, are we in this specific incidents, incident rather, uh, incidents, incident, whatever it is, 
um, instance, there's the word I'm looking for. Why is it something that, oh, it's, you know, because, you know, Bezos is a liberal and he runs the Washington Post, which is essentially an unregistered lobbying arm of not just Amazon, but of the Democratic Party. I'm all for that criticism. Yeah, sure. But I, I you know, I, I don't like this culture of personal shaming that's because it's it's corrosive. And and I think that we start to lose a part of ourselves in the process where, you know, we can look everybody. Everybody makes mistakes. Everybody does stuff. And I always try to judge it from is this a mistake that a person could make on their, you know, could could a good person have done this? on a bad day at a bad time and gotten unlucky with how it all came out. If the answer to that is yes, I try to be pretty sympathetic. If the answer is no, you know, the person sawed off three people's heads and wore them as, you know, as hood ornaments driving across state lines. Yeah. Th- then, then obviously it's a bad person. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the media is really have a lot of fun talking about this, this Bezos thing. Um, I, I'm seeing reports that there's at least a theory out there that somebody hacked or got third-party illicit access to his his personal photos um, that he was sharing with this woman who, you know, I also see there's a lot of intricacy here. You know, people say, oh, should you refer to her as a mistress? Yeah, I think that's what, when someone's married with kids and they're having a sexual uh, affair on the side, I think mistress is the proper term. Um, but if a government entity at any point got involved here or if there was some kind of a hack, that's a crime. That's a crime. Um, and to threaten someone's reputation unless they do something that you want in this way is a gray area. You know, I, I've always thought this was an interesting, interesting area of the law. And I actually kind of wish we had a lawyer on right now to um, uh, to break this down for me, because, you know, it seems to me that if you bring a lawyer in to act as intermediary, you're often more, there seems to be more leeway for what would in any other instance be considered blackmail. And here the lawyers between AMI and David Pecker, and yes, that is his name, and yes, everybody, you know, this reminds me of the Anthony Weiner days when I remember sitting at a table. Look, I, I like to have fun with these stories too. I'm not trying to be, trying to be prudish about it. I remember the, this, but this was before Anthony Weiner was known to be going after, you know, underage girls. This was just when Anthony Weiner was, the the photos of Weiner had been around and we had seen them. I sat at a table at Real News and we just went around doing the best, the best Weiner headlines. And I mean, we we couldn't, this is before the show. I I still wish to this day that my my co-host and I had recorded it because we kind of got on a roll and it was hilarious. I mean, because when you really, when you really, uh, lean into it you know the, the the wiener situation gave you there was a lot of a lot of, of of room to work with you know you could you could really you could really find yourself and i'm trying to it's funny because even just talking about it, i'm like i could get into a double entendre here but yeah anthony wiener story was now you got a guy named pecker who is who is extorting somebody over photos of 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 their their genitalia um, Bezos was on, uh, or rather on the Bezos story, Frank Bruni was on with Don Lemon, and they were certainly talking about this a lot on that CNN show last night, Play 19. He's something else really, really important that I don't want us to lose sight of, yeah. which is he has given us another glimpse 
of the morals or the lack of morals of the company that our president keeps. Even though he and David Pecker are apparently estranged now because of all that happened with federal prosecutors, there's a long, long alliance over time between AMI, Donald Trump, David Pecker, the National Enquirer. Donald Trump's friends behave this way. You know, this this is another place where I just want to lose it, okay? I'm I'm trying to look at the different angles of this and and be and and, uh, and give honest assessments of what I see at play here. But notice how oh, this is somehow kind of if it's not Trump's fault, it's a knock on Trump too. You know, it, it it's not Trump's doing, but you know, Trump is is kind of part of the problem here anyway. This is just nonsense. Okay? The left-wing media celebrates, celebrates these complete smear artists at different news publications. I mean, CNN has people on payroll whose only job is to try to find, it seems, like old tweets from conservatives to try to get them fired. You know, find find anything from conservatives that will embarrass them and get them fired, ruin their reputations. That's CNN. You add places like Gawker, incredibly left-wing progressive, and just a, a giant mound of, of human feces. As I mean, Gawker is the worst place, was the worst place to have ever existed in the media. What they were doing was totally disgusting. And, you know, you, you, you get into... Uh, these different outlets, you know, on the left and, and these places like media matters and, and they're just awful. They're just full of awful people who are dishonorable and ruin lives and ruin reputations. In many cases do so dishonestly, you know, they'll take things out of context. They'll run with stories without having the full facts and they'll try to destroy people. And so I just think it's rich for a New York times clown to be on Don Lemon's CNN show and to be engaged in this, oh, this is the company that Donald Trump keeps, please. They just hate Trump because with all their different smear machines, he still can beat them. He still can go toe-to-toe with them. You know, if if you're going to get into a fight with a honey badger, you better be a wolverine. You know what I'm saying? I mean, and that's what they hate about Trump. He knows this game. He can play it, too. And he has allies on his side that, yeah, they'll fight 30. But, you know, you know who, who do you want to get in the ring? A bare-knuckle brawler or somebody who only wants, you know, the, the, the softest gloves and, and a referee who's going to make sure that every, everything is clean when the other side is somebody who will hit below the belt every chance? That's what we're up against. So I just think, you know, the Bezos story you see once again, medias, we need it. We just need a, a better media. We really do. The media in this country needs to get torn down to the studs and rebuilt. Uh, they're, they're a disgrace. And, and I really hope that, you know, there'll be, my, my greatest hope is that there'll be some conservative digital properties that grow, that become their own ecosystem and that aren't subject to, these fear boycotts and other things that the left engages in, but it's going to take some time. If you want the expert delivery of high-quality screening solutions for employers, property managers, and financial companies, you have to go with my friends at Global Verification Network. 
They can do background checks, tenant screening, vetting, and investigative services. And this is a dual certified, in fact, the only dual certified and veteran-owned background investigation and vetting company. They are dedicated to making sure that whatever size your company and whatever size the program that you need, they can deliver it to you efficiently at a great price and you know that you can trust them because they've been doing this for a long time and I know the CEO and I can vouch for him. Call 877-695-1179. That's 877-695-1179 or go to mygvn.com. Again, that's mygvn.com. If we allow the president to exist with his bigotry, how can we demand with any degree of credibility that the governor resign? We have to start at the top. This level of bigotry is trickling down into this extent that people are going to refuse to acknowledge their bigotry. The moral imperative to remove him from office, the moral imperative to impeach bigotry emanating in policy from the presidency. We have a moral imperative to do so, and we can do so. Oh, here we go. Another instance of this thing that happened that has nothing to do with Trump is Trump's fault. Oh, okay. So Northam, governor of Virginia, still the governor, by the way, Northam wore blackface after found out, lied about wearing blackface, like we're all a bunch of idiots. And uh, what's what's Herring, Mark Herring, the state attorney general, wanted him to resign for wearing blackface and then had to come out and say, well, actually, I wore blackface, too, when I was in college. He still hasn't resigned. Fairfax, credibly accused by a woman who has all the details, agree that there were, everyone agrees there was a sexual encounter. All the only issue is whether or not it was consensual, whether this guy used force and essentially hurt this woman or not. And none of them have resigned. But Representative Al Green there, Democrat from Texas, is giving a fiery speech about how, you see, Northam is not the problem. Trump is the problem. This is just, I I almost don't have the words. And I'm a radio host, so of course I'm going to have the words or have some words. But this is amazing. What is not Trump's fault? This We should now start from the reverse side of this premise. What is not Trump's fault? What can we look at and say, uh, oh, well, we can't find some way. Uh, if crime goes up, well, that's Trump's fault because, you know, he's acting in this way that makes people feel like they can break the law, too. I mean, I, I can play this game all day. It's all stupid, but I, but I can do this, too. Any uh, Any attack rooted in racism? It's Trump's fault, right? Must be because of Trump and the racism. Now, it's when I say it, I understand that it's stupid and you understand that it's stupid. But the problem is that the other side does not recognize it as stupid. They think that this is valid analysis and that this is a real way to or, or, or at least it's valid demagoguery. Right. They think that this gives their people their side, you know, the Democrats, a get out of jail free card. And this guy's actually using it for. For Northam, you know, he's he's trying to say, oh, no, no, no. How can we hold Northam accountable when we haven't held the president accountable? I'm sorry. President Trump didn't wear blackface. And Democrats now are trying to find a way to salvage 
the the weaponization of past racist or unacceptable forget about even racist just past unacceptable un pc conduct which is because i think that you can get in trouble for much less egregious conduct than blackface right democrats want to keep the ability to to slam and uh and force the resignation of republicans but they know that they're in a weird position right now because they're not doing that with Northam. So how do they do this now? Oh, that's right. Until Trump, until Trump resigns, no Democrat should have to resign. That's the new rule. Oh, okay. Isn't isn't that special? Isn't that cute? That's that's quite a quite a sleight of hand. Uh, but here we are. This is we are dealing we're dealing with an ideology that has no principles to protect that is all based on the emotions of the moment in the pursuit of power that's a tough thing to fight against Uh, it's a tough enemy to grapple with it feels a little bit like wrestling water sometimes right i mean you just you can't really get a grip on it because it's always there are no hard and fast rules there are no principles there are no core ideas other than the pursuit of power and the subservience of the individual to the collective that's really it i mean everything else sort of stems from that oh and also the the replacement of god with the state those are the 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 fundamental precepts of progressivism of leftism that's what they build all this on um but this this was remarkable i I knew they would do this i knew it it's really trump's fault would be a part of this discussion uh but to hear it in such such a blatant way is is uh you just got to take a moment step back and say wow uh by the way al sharpton was also down in virginia to talk about this uh let's let's hear from reverend al just for a second for old time's sake play 17. there will be some that try and act like blackface is just some cultural thing that we would do like some of us used to wear bell-bottom pants. (laughs) That is not what blackface is. Blackface is the instituting of the denigration of black people. That's true. I mean, the Reverend Al, you know, is right sometimes, but I just want to know, why do we still have, why is the Reverend Al still considered a moral authority on anything? Why is it okay for him to have a show or I, th- I don't know if it's, I think it's gone now, but at MSNBC, um, you know, what does this have to do? You know, why do we have to have Reverend Al as a representative of the black community that we all have to respect still given his j- just disgraceful past? I never really get an answer to that. I mean, Democrats have to kiss Al Sharpton's ring before they can run for president. Still, to this day, it's pretty remarkable, but maybe that's a conversation that we'll have to get to another day. If you want the expert delivery of high-quality screening solutions for employers, property managers, and financial companies, you have to go with my friends at Global Verification Network. They can do background checks, tenant screening, vetting, and investigative services. And this is a dual certified, in fact, the only dual certified and veteran-owned background investigation and vetting company. They are dedicated to making sure that whatever size your company and whatever size the program that you need, they can deliver it to you 
efficiently at a great price and you know that you can trust them because they've been doing this for a long time and I know the CEO and I can vouch for them. Call 877-695-1179. That's 877-695-1179 or go to mygvn.com. Again, that's mygvn.com. Up next, the Senator Elizabeth Warren hits back, releasing a DNA test results that prove her Native American heritage. She took the DNA test, and what did it find? It found that she, in fact, does have Native American DNA. Oh, snap, DNA plot twist! Now she's got the stats and facts to back up her claim. The idea that this claim was a fraud, that she was lying about her family's heritage and the story that's been passed down, is wrong. Because she was confident of what the answer was going to be, and she's finally telling him, shut up. You know, here's and here's some science for you, buddy. I know you don't understand how DNA works, but take a look at this. Is she out trumping Trump? She says it validates what she has long understood to be part of her family's history. That's right. Elizabeth Warren can now officially say that she is part Native American. Yeah, like it could be that a Native American just sneezed on someone in her family at some point. <laughs> but still, but still, it's enough for her to shove in President Trump's face. How stupid are these people at CNN and, you know, Comedy Central? I mean, did you hear all these voices on Elizabeth Warren there? Most of those, yeah, there's Trevor Noah, who's an unfunny comedian, who's just being propped up by the left all the time. But then you also have supposed news anchors and news analysts saying, now Elizabeth Warren can prove that she is, in fact, Native American. It's like, are they dumb or are they dishonest? It's always so hard to know know the difference. And I actually got into a, a, a little little tiff online on, on the Twitter uh, with a um, CNN's like VP of propaganda. I forget what it was. Some guy, some CNN executive who came at me saying that, you know, it's not fair to dunk on CNN's coverage of Elizabeth Warren. They were just, no, they were. They were, they were hoping that they could run with this and, and that it would shut down the claims about how she's a huge fraud. And then when normal people, because they're so desperate to believe, they love Elizabeth Warren. They're so desperate to believe that she's not a fake Native American, which is what she is, uh, that their initial reporting was like, now she has the numbers. Now she can back up. We played it for you. What kind of a moron thinks that being 1 1,024th Native American substantiates the claim to be a Native American? I mean, people at CNN who are on air, they think that they're smart. They're not smart. They're lucky and they're lackeys and they do what they're told, but they're not clever. Uh, and, you know, this is one of these issues where you just see how desperate and pathetic many of the Democrats are to try and create this this mirage that this candidate, Elizabeth Warren, is somebody that anybody should should want to vote for. Uh, but, you know, so that montage, I just I love it. I mean, CNN, the the day of the initial drop on the DNA, you know, they really were trying to trying to create this set the narrative thing of, yeah, you know, she she proved it. She's Native American. Oh, she proved it. All right. But not in the way that they thought. But Ocasio-Cortez, AOC, who is the the most famous and sort of flavor of the moment uh, politician in the Democratic Party right now. I mean, she is she is the 
Uh, by the way, I think they would have her run for president if she was old enough. She's constitutionally barred because of her age. I think that they would. They think that she should be president. That just tells you how unbelievably unserious the Democrats are on policy matters. You know, they pretend to care about how to you know bring down the cost of prescription drugs and and health care and, and and in an adult way to have serious conversations. But they want Elizabeth. Uh, I'm sorry. Well, Elizabeth Warren too. But they want Ocasio Cortez to be the person who is the commander in chief. Uh, this is just wacko. But here is Ocasio Cortez on Warren's claims to be Native American. Uh, this is this is quite a soundbite we have for you. Just really l- l- let this one speak for itself. Play five. That takes me to Elizabeth Warren. She's never lied about anything, Mm -hmm. but there's been some, she doesn't seem to have given us the fullest answer yet. Mm -hmm. Wait, pause. And there's a lot of people. Pause. uh, She's lied. Okay. Chuck Todd starts off. I mean, Chuck Todd is a little hack for the left. And, you know, he's 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 just kind of a Weasley little guy who is in the right place at the right time and has this big platform and this job, but it's not somebody that is impressive or charming or anything. Um. But I just love how you well, she's never lied. No, no, no. No, no. To claim you're Native American when you're not is a lie. That is a lie. She is a liar. She is a fraud. So he starts off this whole exchange with a false, a, a false statement. But continue on, please, John. Offended by cultural appropriation. Mm-hmm. Um, where are you on this? And what do you think she should do that she hasn't? Well, I think there's there's two ways to talk about it. So one is, uh, and again, we can use and con- and still have an opportunity, I think, here in this situation. I think there's still an opportunity to model what the correct way of navigating these waters look like. And so, uh, for example, I'm I'm Latina. And Latino Americans have a really interesting identity because especially uh, for me as a Puerto Rican woman, my identity is the descendant of many different identities. Mm-hmm. I can tell the story of my ancestors. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that I am that. You know, I, I got a couple of things, a couple of different ways to talk about the couple of different ways Ocasio-Cortez wants to handle a very you know, not a pretty straightforward question from Chuck Todd. Uh, first off is notice how she has this tendency to talk her way around the issue at some length before really getting to say anything. And I think it's often because she has she has learned certain certain rhythms and phraseology from the social justice left that uh, that is effectively a, a placeholder for for actual thinking or actual communication. Uh, as she figures out what she's going to say. She tends to find her way into what she's saying instead of just getting to an answer, which I'm just talking about. This is the person the Democrats think should run the country. I'm I'm deeply unimpressed. It's all very superficial and very much. She's essentially the she's like the the Kim Kardashian of progressive politics. That's what this person is, you know, has an appearance and a presence and a persona that appeals to the millennial uh, Instagram-obsessed generation. And the media and the boomers who control the media see that and are all impressed by it and go, ooh, this is the new hot, this is the new hot, you know, flavor of the month situation. And that's why we have this person now that's 
being treated like she has serious policy ideas. I mean, her the, the Green New Deal is laughable. I mean, it actually is funny. It, it's so dumb and so bizarre that you do find yourself laughing at it. Uh, but also, I think it's just because she talks about her background and her identity. And, you know, Puerto Ricans, um, I actually just interviewed the governor of Puerto Rico, I think a few days ago, and he talked about how they want to be, and I think they will become a state, I would note. I think that that's likely to, uh, I think that's likely to happen, um, which could have interesting implications for some upcoming presidential stuff. I don't think it'll happen in time for this election, but, you know, going forward, it might might be something that we have to pay attention to. Um, you know, but her last name, Ocasio-Cortez, I've spoken to you at some length on the show before about how Cortez was in many ways, the most incredible military campaign ever waged in in known history, Uh, that Cortez could show up in southern Mexico, uh, will really make his way from Cuba and then make his way to to southern Mexico and up the the Yucatan Peninsula and make, uh, make his way up against an army of hundreds of thousands, and a nation, the Aztec nation, and its in its uh, tributaries and um, and slave states of a few million, and win. It's an incredible thing. But he was vicious and brutal, and you know, the, it was he was a conqueror, and he led the conquest of Latin America. What I think is so interesting is we never have to have any accounting. You know, when people talk about Latin American identity. They always appropriate, if you will, ooh, look at that, the natives within these within these countries. So the, the native population of of Mexico of Mexico, the native population of uh, South America or, or the Caribbean that was either displaced or those that were brought here in servitude and slavery. But what what about the background and the history of these countries that involves the eradication of the natives, which is what happened in many of these countries. Uh, the elimination of the Incas by a Spaniard, the elimination of the Aztecs by a Spaniard. You know, th- that I just think it's interesting that that never gets talked about by, when, when people are, are speaking about the oppression of certain groups and they'll throw native peoples in there. They'll talk about uh, Mexican identity, for example, as though it's only in the context of being oppressed Mexican identity is actually very much tied into or, you know, Mexican national identity and history is very much tied up in being the oppressor, in fact. Uh, but, you know, this is the, the complexities of identity or something I'm happy to discuss with the left. But they always for them, it's just always white male Anglo-Saxon American is the is the ultimate oppressor. And there's really no other oppressor that we need to discuss. And there's no other identity that we need to constantly be. Uh, criticizing, tearing down, pulling apart. Um, so that's why people like Warren try to take the identities of other people because it's more advantageous for them to do so. It's quite obvious. Less than a week until Valentine's Day. I know a lot of you have ordered for your special somebody already. You've got a beautiful bouquet from 1-800-Flowers.com on the way. That's the smart move. Hey, for those of you who are procrastinating, your lady deserves the beautiful flowers from 1-800-Flowers.com. Don't wait. When you order early, if you order right now, you'll get 18 red roses for $29.99, or you can upgrade to 24 red roses, only 10 bucks more. That's right, 
18 red roses for $29.99 or upgraded 24 red roses for $10 more. I am sending two dozen roses to Miss Molly on Valentine's Day. So I'm going to get a very happy lady when I see her. So you should do the same for your lady or the loved one in your life. All right. Make it happen to order 18 red roses for $29.99 or upgraded 24 red roses, only 10 bucks more. Go to 1-800-Flowers.com, click the radio icon and enter code BUCK. That's 1-800-Flowers.com, code BUCK. Hurry, offer expires today. I think the walls are closing in on the whole Jussie Smollett fiasco. Remember, I've been talking about this from the very beginning. This is the actor from the show Empire who claimed that he was attacked by two guys yelling that in Chicago that this is MAGA country. They threw an indetermined or undetermined, indeterminate, undetermined, whatever, liquid on Smollett's face and punched him once and put a noose around his neck, did not tighten it, and then and then left him. And this happened all in 60 seconds. And there's no video evidence on a surveillance camera of it, even though there were surveillance cameras in the area. It just so happened to be out of the uh, the view of the cameras when this apparently happened. And he also did not lose his phone or the sandwich that he bought. Uh, so it's uh, strange, to say the least. Well, we have a little update for you. Jussie Smollett, according to CBS here, is back in Chicago on the set of Empire, his show. Um, but we are being told that police say they're trying to determine the origin of the rope that was used in the alleged attack. Detectives are looking into where it came from or where it may have been purchased. A Chicago police official who has viewed tapes says there is video from inside the building where Smollett lives showing the actor entering with what appears to be a noose around his neck. Police say they're still following up on leads but have nothing to report from the additional video over the weekend and they have not released or Chicago police released surveillance images rather of two people but have been unable to identify them. Um this uh, this is going to all come crashing down. I'm I'm pretty confident in that. I get I can't tell you. Like I said, I think I'm 90% sure here that this is it's he certainly is uh acting strangely about it. I I think it's likely to all just come apart. But there'll be no consequences for him. I know the police have said that there will be a there'll be consequences if it, in fact he filed a false report. I, I don't believe that. I don't believe that because increasingly the way that stories like this get covered, whether it's a, a story about a hate crime, but but anytime we, we are now asked to assess, remember, this is a pretty minor local crime story, really. It just happens to involve a celebrity who is black, who is who is gay and and who claims that he was attacked by Trump supporters. But in terms of what actually happened here, I mean, this is a simple assault. I mean, this is not. If you take the narrative of the hate crime out of this, uh, this would by no means be a national news story. But we're always being told to assess these things through the lens of of politics. Um, and and what you see with that is that there is a, a motivation. There is a reason that people want us to take that approach to it, because there's supposed to be some some feeling that we all come away from this with. Um, and in this case, of course, it's that Trump is 
making America angrier. Trump is making America more racist, more intolerant and all this. And that's that's why it's a major story. That's why the media covered this so much. You know, there are any number of, of hate crimes that occur across the country. I mean, you know, hate crimes against Jews often barely get reported, if at all, even in local media. Uh, the media finds hate crimes that involve Trump, hate crimes against a Muslim, you know, hate crimes against uh, against black Americans. Those are stories that they want to tell. And by the way, the hate crimes against black Americans, that's a story the media is particularly interested in only if it is a white perpetrator uh, and and a white perpetrator who is identifiable as a Republican or somebody who supports Trump. So, you know, it, it's, it's the politics and the political interests of the media that's determining what is considered newsworthy and and that's what that's what you see with these hate crime stories like the Jussie Smollett situation or it's because of how the people in newsrooms in Chicago, New York, DC, LA, it's because of how they view the rest of the country and 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 their own politics that's what really matters as to whether or not this is a national news story, a local news story uh and and It'll also turn into a non-story the moment that it does become clear that this is not, if it's not provable, they'll walk away from it. If it is provable that this was all a hoax, then they will run away from it. You know, there have been any number, I mean, you, you look up uh, hate crime hoax online and you'll see that there's a, a bizarre number of these supposed hate crimes that have occurred where when you really dig into it, you go, hold on a second. The person that claimed that this terrible thing happened to them, they lied, they caused a huge stir, but there's really rarely any condemnation of the person who has faked the whole thing. And even if they were initially threatening uh, police action against the perpetrator, sometimes they've lied about some, sometimes somebody will get in trouble for it initially who's not the person, but we let all this go. This is really damaging. We need to hold everyone to the same standards. All adult human beings need to be held to the same legal standards, need to be held to the, held to the same standards of, of, uh, of social expectation and action. Uh, we, we cannot fall into this mindset of judging people differently based upon where the left and its obsession with intersectionality places everyone on the hierarchy of victimization. You know, a, a, a black person, a white person, a Hispanic person, an Asian, you know, Native American, a fake Native American. I mean, no, everybody should be judged by the same standards. And, and I think that we lose an important part of our, of our society when we accept that, well, no, there's this sliding scale. You know, if you're from an oppressed group and you are talking about a, a, a hoax hate crime and you make a hoax hate crime a national level issue, um, even if it didn't happen, you're for the cause because you're raising awareness so it's okay. That's not okay. And I'm going to keep following up on this Jussie Smollett story. I'm wondering where that rope came from. Liberty, truth, and great hair. those funky beats it's time for roll call 
double roll call because it's Friday. So we'll get two segments in here of the roll call. Man, I'm I'm uh, solo this weekend, so that means there's going to be a lot of sleeping, a lot of cooking, and maybe some maybe some going to the gym. But then again, when you wake up on a Saturday morning and you have that cup of coffee ready for you and the big couch and lots of Netflix to get to, sometimes the gym can be kind of a, 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 distant, a distant memory. That's all I can tell you. But I'm going to try to get to it this weekend because I don't want you to have to listen to Jabba the Buck on the radio. And that's what will happen if I keep eating chocolate and don't work out. Carolyn... First up in our roll call session, uh, this new Green Deal exposes a fundamental reality. The climate change issue is not about science or environmentalism. It is about socialism. Carolyn, this is uh, this is true. Uh, Climate change is about control and climate change is about control via the government by people who think that if they are in charge of the government apparatus, our lives will all be better and uh, we'll all be safer and happier and all the rest of it. History tells us that handing over that kind of authority, that much uh, that much power to the government is a terrible idea, but the environmentalist types, the, the Greens, they are uh, convinced that this time around it will be better. And, and this reminds me again of the moral equivalent of war argument, which Cory Booker explicitly made today, which says, you know, look at what we did. We fought the Nazis in World War II. What does that have to do with CO2 emissions in the air? I want to live. I want my children and my children's children's children all the way down to live and have a beautiful planet to enjoy. That the left is so comfortable thinking that I don't want those things. That's such an irrational thing for them to believe, for them to think that I am so irrational that I don't care about the planet or future generations just proves how irrational they are. It makes no sense. It makes no sense at all. They think that we're not starting from the same premise that we all want the planet to survive. But look, you see it. You see what we're dealing with this Democrat Party for two years. They've been telling us oh, Trump is a liar, he's so bad, he's so evil, he sold out the country. And then we realize, oh, wait, you're a bunch of crazy people, Democrats. You're, you're a bunch of loons. I'm glad that we've established that. Cheryl writes, thank you, Buck, for discussing uh, this. I agree with your comments regarding the legalization of marijuana use in relation to alcohol use and prohibition. Living in California where marijuana growth use is legal I feel an urgency to get the fact out and be as diligent as possible with the truth about marijuana use and its effect on the brain. It is not harmless, nor is it as beneficial medically as we are led to believe. The research mentioned in this Hillsdale article will clarify. Thank you for all you do. Yeah, Cheryl, look, it's a drug. And drugs have side effects. Even drugs that your doctor, well, a lot of drugs, as we all know, that your doctor may prescribe for you could have all kinds of side effects. But you know, you, you take antibiotics if you have a staph infection because you don't want to die. So even if there are some negative side effects to uh, intestinal health, to your gut flora, to, you know, all kinds. And, and there are negative effects to antibiotics and people should be more familiar with them. You know, I was recently given antibiotics for a sinus infection. I did. And I definitely had a sinus infection. I did not take them 
because I thought that within a day or two, I would start to trend better. And I did because I don't like taking antibiotics when you don't have to take them. So uh, because there's a, a lot of stuff that comes with it that you don't often get told by the medical community. Sometimes they'll tell you, sometimes they don't. Um, and, and that's for drugs that you need to take, though, or that you that you are told to take. Marijuana obviously has side effects. One of them is like you like to take long naps and like eat a pound of Skittles. She's like the yellow and the red, man. Like they're so good. Alice writes, Hi, Buck. I thought I'd weigh in on the current debacle in Virginia. My husband and I lived in Charlottesville for a brief time in the mid 80s. He had taken a job with a local radio station, which meant we were involved in a lot of public events. And I assure you, racism was alive and thriving in that state. An associate's wife was a dark-skinned Puerto Rican, also a newcomer, and she was warned to stay to the back of events. That overt racism, as well as the general atmosphere, shocked these two northern Yankees. It's a beautiful state, but there was a very ugly undercurrent in those days. You know, Alice, it's true that that we think of racism in this country as always a uh, a, a national issue that is, I mean, it, it is a national issue, but that it's a national issue to the same degree across the nation. And that's not accurate. I mean, it's not accurate historically. It's not accurate anecdotally uh, or legally for that matter. And that's why you have Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act, which identified places, and some of them aren't, not to, you know, a lot of people pick, you know, go right at the South. They pick on the South right away. And there's obviously the history of slavery in the South, so that's understandable. But there are other places in the country where there's, been uh, a long history of, of racism. And and I just also think, that, though, that we should understand more of racism as a, as a general human failing that is a constant throughout history, is a constant around the world. Every society where there are people of different races, there is some sense of the other and, and some kind of racism. I mean, th- th- it goes to our very basic sense of tribal identity. People who look more like you, because we are all animals, we are we have mammalian impulses and brain structures, uh, people who look like you, you're going to tend to uh, associate with. But we are human beings, we are not animals, so we also can understand free will and the divinity that is present in all human beings and therefore the equality both in the eyes of God and in the eyes of the law that is essential for any free and just society, uh, irrespective of, of anyone's skin color. Uh, and I was reading a piece today that looked at the history of the slave trade in East Africa, which does not get attention. You know, people don't ever talk about this. I've spent some time on this show discussing the Mediterranean slave trade, which in the uh, in the 15, uh, 1500s, 1400s, 1300s uh, was dominated by Muslims. Uh, Muslims were slave traders and in fact, Muslims from North Africa and from the Barbary states. And this, by the way, continued all the way to the founding of America. And our first foreign war was fought against the Barbary pirates who were enslaving, white European and American sailors on the high seas and and putting them in mines where they would work them to death and taking the women and putting them in harems where they were sex slaves. 
And this was done to, to millions of uh, white Europeans and white, and white uh, Americans over a period of a few centuries. And it was all the, the Islamic slave trade that did this. This is just history. People, when I talk about this, people sometimes look at me like, oh, what are you, you know, it makes them uncomfortable. No, that's right. For, for a lot of people that have, you know, taken, for example, the names of, uh, you know, Islamic names because they think that that's not the name that would associate with the period of American slavery for, for African-Americans in this country. I always think that's interesting because uh, slave traders in the African continent, there were many who were Muslim. And in fact, the Islamic slave trade was, was thriving. But there was an East African slave trade as well, where the Arab... Uh, Arab traders established outposts on the east coast of Africa, and then in collaboration with different tribes, you know, African tribes in Somalia, in what is today Kenya, all the way down to uh, the island of Zanzibar, tribes would enslave members of other tribes because slavery. We are taught to believe, or, or we are led to believe, is is a is a a, a system that is premised on racism. The American slave trade was a racist slave trade, but in fact, slavery exists all the way back to biblical times. And the Jews were the slaves of the pharaohs. In Roman times, conquered tribes were slaves. The Greeks had a slave class that included people who were ethnic Greeks. I mean, you know, so slavery as an institution, uh, human exploitation and the treatment of human beings as property, it, it, it goes beyond a, a racial underpinning, although it can be racial. Uh, and obviously the American slave trade was racial, but the East African slave trade involved a lot of Arabs working with black Africans to uh, transport other tribes more toward the African interior into the slave markets uh, in the Arab world, but also in South Asia, in India. And this is why that part of uh, of Africa, Somalia, Kenya, what's generally referred to as the Horn of Africa. Uh, there's, if you look at it, there's a lot of cultural crossover between the Arab world and the uh, African world. And that's also why you have Islam is the predominant religion. It's 99%, I believe, of Somalia. Um, and that that's a legacy of the, of the slave trade there and the slave traders from the Arabian Peninsula. So there's just much more... Uh, interesting historical complexity of these issues than you'll generally get. Swahili comes from the word Sahel, which means coastal dweller. Fun fact. All right, more roll call coming up in a minute. All right, back into roll call. David writes, hey, Buck, interesting talk going around from the innards of VA politics. The consensus is it's better for Republicans if all three stay. Democrats have run out of people asking them to resign on the local and state level. Who would they turn to after that? Obama? This is the craziest thing I've ever seen. David, I agree. It is, it is crazy. But I also think that the, the Democrat Party is suffering from a crisis of hypocrisy and, and double standards. And it's because the standards that the aggressive, progressive left enforces against Republicans that can't be applied to the left as well because they're going to have this kind of problem, right? They, if, if anything that you've done in your past that's controversial or racist or whatever, even if it was 30 or 40 years ago, if that's going to now prevent you from being a, a public figure in public life, I think we could live with that on the right, but the left can't live with that. 
They have plenty of people. You look at look at some of the people that the left has elevated in recent years, despite their backgrounds. People like Teddy Kennedy, who killed a woman. People like Senator Byrd, who was a member of the Ku Klux Klan. Okay, that guy was a Klansman, and he was a sitting senator for decades. And Democrats loved him and thought he was fantastic. So, you know, they they like to create these these rules only for our side, and then in the era of the internet where we can tell when they said something different a month ago or, or six months ago than they're saying now, it's just hard for them to get away with the hypocrisy. Um, but they're going to, all three of these guys in Virginia are going to stay. All three of them are going to stay. I don't think a single one of them is going to step down and they're all going to point at the others and say, well, if he's not going, why should I go? And you don't want that big mean Republican to take our place. Tim writes, Respect to the caller, Tony. I will listen to his show. All right, Tim. Well, there you go. Um, Very cool. Uh, Will writes, You see about the MS-13 guy who killed someone on the platform on the 7 train in Queens. Will, I did see that. And, you know, it's a really disturbing video. And I I just wish that the left would stop pretending like there, there is no problem of violence from illegal illegal immigrants. You know, I, I just wish that they would be a little bit more honest. Although whenever I say that, I wish they'd be more honest. Well, we know they won't be, so maybe I should stop wishing. Van. Right. Hey, Buck, do you think it's possible that dinosaurs farted too much? Van, um, I, I don't know, but dinosaur probably, dinosaur uh, flatulence, I'm sure was, was quite, a sight to smell or behold or whatever. Uh, but I, I get your point about how Ocasio-Cortez really does want to deal with cow farts. You know, I've brought that up in the past and people have said to me, liberal friends of mine have said, oh, nobody's worried about cow farts and methane. I say, ah, uh-uh, they are. They are worried about cow farts and methane. John writes, Buck, all these people love and want government-funded health care. Have them talk to a vet about the VA. Well, John, you know, it's even worse than that because the VA delivers health care for uh, under 10 million Americans. I forget the full number. I think it's six or seven million Americans, something like that, get, get their health care from the VA. Uh, that's a very small overall, very small piece of the U.S. population. And remember that veterans are also a politically protected class, whereas your average citizen in this country doesn't have the same sentiment about, oh, well, you know, you're owed health care the way that veterans, you know, as part of the compact with the government for serving this country, they are owed that health care by the VA. You know, this is a debt that the American people pay back to veterans. Whereas if you're just an everyday run-of-the-mill Joe Schmo or, you know, Jesse Schmo or something, or what would be the Joe female? Josephine Schmo. Josephine Schmo sounds fancy, like she wears fancy hats to luncheons. Um, But if you were one of those people, you don't have the same political power behind you. And also, obviously, it'll be much more uh, diffuse any outrage over shortcomings. What I'm trying to say is they can't even rep whatever the VA doesn't do well enough and all the shortcomings of the VA. Those would only be magnified if you expanded out the population of people that are covered under a VA-like system. Doug writes, Buck, in response to the listener asking about how AOC got funded, she was put forward originally by brand new Congress, 
which formed out of the remains of the 2016 Bernie campaign. She was already an activist, so they knew her. I don't know how much further the trail goes, but that is where it starts. Shields high, Doug. Um, Doug, I'll take your word for it. You you think no more than I do on this issue. I didn't know about this brand new Congress group, but I do know where AOC is from in Queens. So there's that. I've spent a fair amount of time in Queens. And I'm going to close up shop here in the hut for this uh, wonderful edition of the show, team. Uh, thank you so much for joining me. Talk to you all on Monday. Please catch up on any podcast you missed this weekend. Tell a friend about the Buck Sexton Show. We'll speak in a few days. Shields high. I wake up. It's still dark outside. I usually wish I could go right back to bed, just snuggle up under the covers and hide from all the stuff I got to do. Oh, but then all of a sudden I realize I'm an American who loves freedom and has responsibilities and has to get his butt into gear and get it done. That's why I drink Black Rifle Coffee. That's right. That's how I kick off my day every day. I'm sitting here right now doing radio. I got a mug of Black Rifle Coffee on my desk. In fact, the mug itself says Black Rifle Coffee Company on it. These guys are awesome. They are veterans. They love coffee. They love this country, and they are building a great American brand that I want you to be a part of, too. Join the coffee club. They'll deliver coffee to you every month. You'll never have to worry about going out to get your coffee again. They'll send it right to your front door. Wake up with America's coffee, Black Rifle Coffee. Visit blackriflecoffee.com slash buck and receive 15% off your order. That's blackriflecoffee.com slash buck for 15% off blackriflecoffee.com slash buck.